All right, church family, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you would take it and open with me to Daniel chapter 11. Thank you, Rich and Donna and Joyce, for y'all's leadership today as some of our uh, worship staff is out on Memorial Day, enjoying the holiday uh, week. And I love the essence of that song because I think it captures well maybe a, a summary statement or a summary theme in the book of Daniel that we've been in uh, for the past two or three months now. And that is, I, th- I think, the, the essence is this, that Daniel, while he was living in exile, when he felt alone, uh, when take all of the world, the cry of Daniel's heart, the posture of Daniel's heart was a heart that was utterly dependent upon God. And where we've seen in the past uh, 10 chapters, we'll see 11 in, in chapter 11 and 12 today, the story of God in the land of exile. So we're going to wrap uh, Daniel up today and, and consider two uh, points, one from chapter 11, one from chapter 12. And in chapter 11, we'll see that the earthly conflict exists in God's plan. But there's another truth in, in chapter 12 that will ring out, and that is that God's plan also is accompanied by eternal certainty. That as this book comes to a close, what we see is the people of God prevail in the plan of God, that God's plan for his people is, is that we win and that he gets the last word. And Daniel, we see that played out beautifully in, in chapter 12, verse 13, where we will end our time uh, together today. Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. God, we, we come before you now, not out of habit or routine, but Lord, the posture of our hearts is that we need you. And so Lord, as we approach your word, I pray that you would find within our hearts a heart of humility, Lord, a heart that's ready to receive the truth that is found only in your word. So, Lord, we pray that that truth would shape us, Lord, and and that the power of your spirit that attends your truth, God, would change us. And, Father, as we conclude this series, I pray that, that, that we, your church, God, we, your child, God, would look more like Jesus because of the many weeks that we have spent in Daniel. That we would consider who we are, and whose we are in light of the land of exile that we now live in. God, as we await our eternal home in heaven for you. So Lord, fill our hearts with hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you know, if you've ran a race before, driven in a race, watched a race, when you're on the last lap of that race, uh, Lord willing, hopefully you get a, a, a fresh shot of adrenaline that will take you to the finish line. That's what we need this morning to get through chapter 11 and chapter 12 of Daniel, a fresh shot of adrenaline. So we talked last week, chapter 10 introduces us to the third and final vision that Daniel receives from God. And in chapter 10, the major theme is that Daniel, God's servant, was loved by God. It, it stood out in the narrative of Scripture that, Daniel, you are loved. And, and chapter 11 and 12 kind of come alongside of that to give the message that was given to Daniel in light of chapter 10. All this fits together to see and, and, and hold this third and final vision that Daniel has been given. And what we see, and it's not a new theme, it's a continual theme that we see all throughout Daniel, and that is this, that eternal certainty is not without earthly conflict. The picture is this, that in conflict, that God is still in complete control. That in the conflict in the book of Daniel... In the conflict of your heart and your life this morning, the peace that we have, the hope that we have in our hearts is that our God is still completely and fully in control. And that's why we can say with confidence that the people of God prevail in the plan of God. 
So let's consider in chapter 11 how these two uh, chapters begin with the earthly conflict in God's plan. As we consider chapter 11, we're not going to read all of it, uh, but there's at least three pictures of earthly conflict that we see in chapter 11. Uh, many of you, if you study the Bible, study the end times, this is one of the, the main texts that we see and understand um, and get our understanding of the Antichrist comes in, in chapter 11. But there's so much more at play and at stake than just that one figure in this chapter. And each of these kind of pieces of conflict come with their own maps and, and come with their own charts and come with their own curriculum. To say that I'll be able to exhaust all of them in, in one sermon would be impossible. And so what we want to do today is just kind of highlight these three themes that we see in chapter 11 and how those three themes pave the way for chapter 12 in which we see the eternal certainty that we have as his people in his plans. So let's begin considering this earthly conflict by seeing that conflict on this earth from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, has always been constant. There's always a conflict going on in the world around us, in, in our city, in our state, and in the nation, and all throughout the world. It is marked by conflict. And that is so true in Daniel chapter 11. We're introduced again to Darius, the Mede, the king, and, and we see in this scripture that he will rise and, 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 and then he will fall and, and people will come and, and take his place. And look how verses 3 and 4 describe this in chapter 11. It says, Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he will. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of, of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority to which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. It's the picture that, yes, this king might have been good. He might have been great. He might have amassed great power over his rule and over his reign. But the day will come when his power will be plucked from him and it will go to others beside him. It's the picture that this conflict is constant. And then in verses 5 through 20, it's a, a very detailed narrative, and, and, and the summary is kind of this, that you have two kingdoms, one in the north, one in the south, and they are warring against one another. In verses 5 through 20, you see a 150-year picture of a geopolitical war. And what we see in Daniel chapter 11 is historically verified. This really happened in history, and, and Daniel was seeing this in this vision, that these, these two kingdoms would wage war. They would steal from each other, then they would make peace. Then they would wage war against each other. And then there's one even portion here where they, they like exchange family members in order to try and make peace, make lasting peace. And that doesn't work. They, they, they go to war together again. It's a constant, never-ending conflict that takes us up to verse 21. And then in verse 21, we see a new king. This is uh, kind of the, the, the second theme here of this earthly conflict, and that is that it's continual. It never ends. It's constant, and it's continual. This continual conflict in verses 21 through 35 is a picture of the rule and reign of a king named Antiochus IV, different than the Antiochus we saw a few chapters ago. Verse 21 tells us this Antiochus obtained the kingdom by flattery. He was smooth talker. And he smooth-talked his way into his kingdom. His leadership was strong and deceitful, and he devised plans, and he developed strongholds to the point that verse 28 considers it like this. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart 
shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own lands. The conflict escalates here. It's not just north and south kingdoms battling against one another. Antiochus IV, his war is against the holy covenant. That a ruler arises in his great war, his great battle that he's fighting, the great conflict of his heart is literally against the God of the world. This conflict makes the people of God the target. And I would argue that's true all throughout human history. Some of the greatest conflicts, maybe not physical ones, but spiritual ones, God's people are the target because we are the ones that hold and possess and live in the truth of God's word. And in this rule and this reign, it paves the way for the greatest conflict yet to come that we see in verse 36 through 45. And this is where we get a picture of of what many Christians believe to be the one Antichrist who is to come. And we'll see that this conflict here on earth is a complete conflict. Look at how verse 36 describes his rule and his reign. It says, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper until the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. So here's the picture that that one will come and one will rule and, and one will reign and he will literally do whatever he wants to do, is the picture of Scripture. That he will do as he will, he will exalt himself, he will magnify himself, he will speak against the God of gods. Later on in these verses, it goes on to say that he will rule and reign over Edom, the Moabites, the Amorites, Egypt, the Cushites. And we see this rule and reign is a picture of the one who is to come. And to point out maybe one particular danger here in our Christian understanding of how this text plays out and how the Antichrist plays out in the context of Christian history and in the history of the Bible is this, that oftentimes our understanding of the Antichrist is so focused on the one and final one that we sometimes lose sight of all the ones that are already here. So there is one that will finally come, but until he comes, there are plenty of idols in our hearts and lives that are anti against Christ. And how are those things described? Let's go back to verse 36. Anything in your heart, anything in our lives that does as he wills, that works to exalt himself, that magnifies himself, that speaks against the God of gods, all of those things don't just describe the Antichrist that is to come, but the Antichrist that exists sometimes within our own sinful hearts. And you see, this is the earthly conflict that we have as the people of God. That we stand and we behold the truth of God, but we must do so with humility, constantly repenting, coming back to the Lord and and, and the truth of his word, and singing the great truths that we've declared in scripture or in song already this morning. That thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied, because my heart needed that blood, because my heart is opposed to your things. My heart is sinful and wicked and deceitful and in constant need of right relationship and returning to right relationship in repentance. It helps us make sense of the world around us, right? We live our lives in a world that's marked not just by chaos and and war across the ocean. It's marked by violence here in our own country. It's how we process as Christians violent, unnecessary evil 
shootings that take place at elementary schools. Like it's how we as a denomination process some of the reports of sexual abuse that are surfacing in in major news networks about our own Southern Baptist Convention. It's, It's how we process all of these things because we recognize here on earth there is conflict, there's war, there's disjointed, there's a battle of wills. And we see this all the time as one who exalts himself, magnifies himself. It's far too easy, you see, to point the target or paint the picture that that is the evil one, that person is evil, the way they operate is evil, and they wear the target of this truth without considering how we, in our own hearts and in our own lives, face these same struggles, fight these same battles. It's marked by conflict. Helps us make sense of the battle of the will of our own heart, doesn't it? How you can have a rich, meaningful morning devotion, and you can stand up from your comfy recliner and walk into the kitchen and sin before you even get there. I'm not the only one, right? Like, uh, that happens to other people. It's the picture. Like there, there is a war that is to come, but look at the hope that we see in verse 45. This conflict, this complete conflict, one day shall come to an end. So here's the truth that we see in Daniel, played out in chapter 11. And here's the truth of our, for our hearts this Memorial Day weekend in 2022. That one day, earthly conflict will be no more. One day it will be gone forever and ever and ever. So how then do we live with hearts filled with that hope until that day comes? I think there are three things that we see in Daniel chapter 11 to help us live faithfully unto God when the earth is marked by conflict. The first is we believe. Look at verse 32. And he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So what then do the people of God do when the world is marked by chaos and confusion? You know your God. You stand firm and you take action. You see, we're not hopeless, even though the world around us might look like it. That God has given us in our hearts the knowledge of God, the ability and strength to stand, and the courage to take action. So what do we do in the midst of earthly conflict? We believe. Second thing that we do, we remain faithful. Look at verse 35. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end of time. For it still awaits the appointed time. Even though we stumble, remember that God is working all of these things in our hearts, in our lives, so that we could be refined so that we could be purified, so that we could be made white. And you see, so often we miss this in earthly conflict. So often we're just trying to get through it so that we don't have to really grow through it. And the picture here is all of these things in the book of Daniel are happening so that we, the people of God, may remain faithful unto God and then the world around us might watch and see and behold that great truth and that great testimony. The third thing I believe that we learn in Daniel that we are to do in the conflict of this world is to teach those around us. Look at verse 33. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity 
and plunder. That the wise among us, our responsibility is to make the world around us understand that it does not matter what they throw our way, that we will believe, we will know our God, we will stand firm, and we will take action. That we will be faithful. We know that we are being refined. We are being purified into the image of Christ, our Savior. And so it's our responsibility in the conflict of this world to make many understand, as verse 33 says. It's our responsibility in the conflict of your heart and in your life, in the midst of broken relationships, in the midst of job loss, in in the midst of cancer diagnosis, in the midst of health concerns, how we, in the midst of the conflict of this earth, might have peace with our God. That we understand the conflicts of this world will come and they will go, but their ultimate truth, the ultimate role they play in our hearts and lives is to help us produce Christ-likeness, help us to become more like Christ. That every single thing that God gives you as you walk this journey here on earth, every single piece of this earthly conflict, whether it be in Daniel's life or in your life, is meant for you to live and grow in Christ-likeness. And the truth of this is, as we look around the world, as we consider how we live in this way, in this world around us, the world will continue to be captured by those who chase earthly power. Like, you understand, like, that's the original sin. We go all the way back to the garden. It it was the desire for power, for perception, to be able to think and understand and be like God. It's the original sin that we continue to struggle with still today. It's what's been captured in such great detail in these first 11 verses of, uh, of Daniel, that the world will always be captured by those who chase earthly power. But for those of us who've placed their faith in Jesus, like we can look at that unfold just like we watch our dog chase our tail, like chase its tail. Like it's a fruitless endeavor. Like I don't understand what motivates a dog to want to chase its tail. We know however that ends, they're going to be chewing on their own tail. It's a lose-lose. Like, and as we watch this power unfold around us, as we watch whether it's Russia or people in our own country or, or the political battle going on or the personal battle for sin in your own heart, like it is a, a, a battle for power that is ultimately fruitless and powerless. Why do we do this? I think one of the things that Daniel teaches us, one of the things that's true in our own heart and life is this, that most people search for power because they cannot find peace. And most people, they're power hungry because they are peaceless. If they understood what it was like to have right relationship with God and the peace that that brings and their desire or pursuit for power might would change. And here's the challenge for us. I think modeled well in Daniel's life, seen clearly throughout these chapters in Daniel's this, that until the return of Christ, the only peace our world will know is found in your heart. Like the only peace that this world will ever know until Christ returns is found within the heart of the Christian. That's what Daniel models well for us as he lives faithfully unto God in exile. He's faithful to the plan of God, obedient to the will of God, even in very, very difficult situations and circumstances here on this earth. You see, that peace is only possible because we have, Daniel has, Christians have, the eternal certainty of God's plan. And that's where we'll end 
Daniel, Dan, our study in Daniel as we consider chapter 12 together. That in God's plan, there is eternal certainty for the people of God. You read these first four verses of chapter 12. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. A whole lot of trouble is coming is what this says. That's the end of the sentence. Look how the next sentence starts. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. The picture here is in verse 1. that It's going to get really bad for the people of God. There's going to be a whole lot of trouble for the people of God. And in that time of trouble, one sentence ends and the next sentence begins. That in that moment, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. In the earthly conflict of God's plan, the promise of God is that the people of God will be delivered by God. And that causes us, our hearts, to be filled with hope. Well, how does this happen? Verse 2 answers that for us. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. What's Daniel seeing here in this vision? He's seen the power of the resurrection. The picture here is that people will die and one day be brought back to life. We know the one who can do that. We know the one who did that. We know the one who will do that for us. And this truth for Daniel is truth for you, that the eternal certainty of God's plan is sealed by the power of the resurrection. That our God, the God we worship, the God that we serve, can make the dead live. And because that's true, it does not matter what earthly situation or circumstance might frustrate us, might challenge us, might lead us to despair, we can have hope that your God, the one who called you from your sinful state and has given you eternal salvation by the power of his resurrection. Captured beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have certainty. We have hope in God's eternal plan because we are promised victory that is only found in the blood of Jesus and the power of the resurrection. And this is the picture that Daniel sees in the end of chapter 12. At the end of his life, his long and, 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 and faithful life, yes, marked with despair, yes, marked with difficulty, Daniel get, gets a picture of the power of the resurrection. And what happens, or how are the lives of those who believe in this power, how are they described? Look at verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. 
and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The picture is this, that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. I grew up in a family that did not pay much attention to stars or eclipses or all these cool astrological things that happen in our universe. And that all changed when I said I do. Because I married a woman whose family deeply loves all these things. And so I learned what it was like to lay on the back, lay on your back in the grass and look up at the stars and watch an eclipse take place. Or maybe just whenever you're able to see a a planet, you go and, and you look up in the sky and you see the beauty of God's creation. It's something that I inherited whenever I got married. And I'll say it's been a beautiful thing. Um, But many of y'all know where we live. We live in the city. It's really challenging to live in the city and look up at a dark sky. But we have some church members who live in the country. And I'm not going to reveal their names because I don't want to reveal our stargazing spot. Um, But they have allowed us at times to go out into their field in the darkness of night and just look up and see what God does in the atmosphere as stars shine bright, as planets move across the sky. It's a, it's a beautiful picture that in pitch black darkness, there is light. And you see, this is what Daniel is saying to the people of God, that this world is going to get dark. In fact, you might open your eyes and you might not see light anywhere around you, but the righteous, those that are faithful unto God, will shine like the stars in the sky. So you ask, What then is our role at First Baptist Church of Rocky Mount? What then is your role as a Christian, faithful unto God? Listen, as the world around you continues to get dark, what that means is our light should and will shine brighter. So whatever plays out in this city that we love, that we call home, whatever plays out in, in, in your life, One of the great purposes of that reality is that we will be the light that shines in darkness. That's the picture of the eternal certainty of God's plan. And that is our work in wickedness, in exile, in uncertainty. That we would turn many to righteousness like stars that shine forever and ever. And as certain as this promise is, It's a beautiful first four verses, but the next few are marked by more confusion. We see a question in verse six. How long shall it be till these ends, uh, till the end of these wonders? The answer in verse seven, it shall be time, times, and half time. If that is confusing to you, it's confusing to everyone who's ever studied that verse. The picture is this, that Daniel's heart is curious. How long will it be until this will be no more? He's not given a very clear answer. Or verse 8, the question of verse 8, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? The question is, God, how is this going to play out? Look at the answer of verse 9. Daniel, you just go on your way. You see, he gives Daniel all this hope, and then he says to Daniel, Hey, you got to trust me still. This is how it's going to play out, and until that day gets here, Daniel, I've got you. You just focus on being faithful unto me and let me take care of all these other things happening in redemptive history. 
these obscure details talk about the numbering of the days that remain, and, and so, it's so hard for us to figure out how these fall or where they fall or if they fall on a particular timeline. But here, here's, I think, the truth that we can take away from these verses is this. That even with the certainty of our hope, that does not mean that God has given us the full playbook. Because if we had the full playbook, we would mess it up. We can't be trusted with it. And so what God has given us is exactly what you need to live faithfully unto God today. And you'll worry about tomorrow when he gets here. It's the picture of Scripture. It's a picture of of trust and and faith that's modeled in the life of Daniel that comes to a beautiful conclusion in verse 13 that I think we can see and understand with concrete certainty the eternal picture that we have in the plan of God. But go your way until the end, and you shall rest. You shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. The picture here, to use New Testament language, is let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. It's the same message being delivered to Daniel here. You, Daniel, just go your way until the end. But look at what's promised us at the end. And you shall rest. And you shall stand. And so if you're here this morning or been walking through this sermon series with us and your life feels like you are run ragged, perhaps you feel like you're limping, perhaps even crawling to the finish line. What verse 13 provides for us, it gives us hope that the day is coming when you will forever be standing before Jesus, and in that place you will have perfect rest. You might not ever have it until then. But the promise of God, the power of the resurrection is this, that when that time is coming, and we don't know when, the word God says to Daniel here is, in your allotted time, It will take place, but that is the promise that we cling to in difficulty here on this earth. Time is mentioned 13 times in chapters 11 and chapter 12. Every single time it's mentioned, it's either allotted or appointed. So the picture here is that there is a God who is over time, and he is allotting pieces of it, and he is appointing pieces of it. We're into board games at our house. You know those hourglass things that you time you, you use as timers on board games? Like, here's the picture. Like, in your life, God has, has turned over a, a timer for your life. And, and, and your sand is constantly going from top to bottom. And, and sometimes in our life, we get stressed out about how much sand is left or, or how quickly it's moving or, or how hard it's moving or how, how difficult it is as it moves. And we miss the God who is holding this whole time in his hand. And that's the picture that we see in Daniel. That regardless of your perspective and your understanding of the end times, we see a God who is holding all time in his hand. And that is a God that we can trust. And the picture for us is this, that even when you do not understand, you can trust the author of time. He's holding it in his hand. And he says to us, but go your way until the end. And you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. 
That's why we can confidently say, as the book of Daniel ends for us as a church, that the people of God prevail in the plan of God. And as we end, let's not miss that Daniel never makes it home from exile. He stays in exile for the rest of his life. The picture of Daniel's life, he leaves his homeland as a teenager and dies in exile. Most people believe in his 90s. He's taken from his home. He's forced to live in a foreign land when when dreams get crazy and idols are built and and worship is commanded of him and and dens are filled with lions and and kings come and, and kings go. When days in exile get long and hard and lonely, what we learn from Daniel is this, that we are to lift our eyes to the one true king. What does Daniel teach the church of the living God today in 2022? That when times get hard, when nights get dark, you lift your eyes to the one true king. That you place your faith in the only kingdom that will never be shaken. And you fix your hope that every detail of your life, regardless of difficulty, is all a part of God's perfect plan. This is what we can learn from the book of Daniel. The kings come and kings go. But Jesus is king forever, forever. This is the story of God in the land of exile. This is how the people of God prevail in the plan of God because God is working in our lives. He is working in our midst. He's working in the world around us. And perhaps he's allowing the night to get dark so that we might shine bright. And the call of God we see in the book of Daniel is that we are to live in faithful obedience unto God, that he could tell his story as we live in exile. Would you pray with me? Father, what a journey this book has held for my heart, for the heart of our church. And Lord, I pray as we end today in this book, God, as as we consider in our own hearts and lives, God, that you would fill our hearts with hope. Lord, your word teaches us that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Lord, that's a promise for us. And so when the morning comes, I pray, God, that you would find us faithful. God, find us obedient. Find us joyful. God, find us dependent upon you, the only true, the only wise God, our forever king, the one who holds our life in the palm of his hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.